Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Who are you really? We often believe the fabricated idea that we really are that which matches our reputation. We think that the person others think we are is really who we are. We strive hard, in fact, to be that person and to live with the results of being that person. So if they, usually family of origin or significant others, believe that I'm a bad dude, for example then that's what I must be, and I may even be putting energy into being bad in order to prove that I exist. Same with many other projections that we interject. We become a role rather than a real person. What is the authenticity then? How does one begin the process of actualizing one's authentic self? This is an important topic, so stay here for it. So, okay, the first question is... uh, how did we get to be something we're not? And the answer to that is we, we became, we lived into, we chose, unconsciously chose to participate in the family trance. So the family trance is one in which everyone in the family knows what's going on in the family, but nobody talks about it. Everybody knows what's expected of everybody else, and even though it's never said, although it may be said, but if it's not, even if it's not said, then people in the family know that it's expected of them. And they know because of little subtle nuances of, of body language and uh, verbiage and nonverbal cues. And so they're paying attention to all that, and they're getting the message that this is how it's supposed to be. And that happens really, really early, even in in our infancy. We begin to pick up signals when we can't talk and we don't understand language. We pick up signals. We we intuit what is expected of us. And so it's kind of like we're looking at our parents' faces and our parents' faces are mirrors. And so we, we look up at our parents' face and we see ourselves in their face. And if their face says, um, you know, you're going to be somebody who will always take care of what I need, then we'll just live into that. We'll just start right then as an infant living into that. That could mean that we become a very good child so that our parents are never troubled with anything that we, we do. Maybe there's another child in the family that's got special needs, or maybe there's another child in the family who's, who requires a lot of attention. Well, we won't, we'll just won't require that because that's not what our parents need. So we just become that. We do what, what it is that they, they say to us without saying, without words. They say to us, this is what I need you to be. And we become that because we want to belong in this family. And we sense quite truly, in fact, that if we don't belong in this family, we will not survive. And there's all kinds of survival, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. There's all kinds of survival. And so we, we need to figure out how to survive. And so we do. We just kind of naturally flow into, oh, this is what they do. This is what they need. This is what I'll be. And so we become that. 
So we start, we start out as authentic beings. And somewhere along the way, very early in life, we lose touch with that. And we become what it is that our parents and significant others need us to be. And um, so that can take the form of several different kinds of roles. There's this family scapegoat. This is the child who will carry the sins of the family, so to speak. They will uh, make up for the family's uh, mistakes. They will make everybody in the family look good. They will sacrifice for the family. They will become a helper and a caregiver for the family. They will uh, perform good, wonderful, sacrificial tasks for the family. They will be the, the shining example of goodness in the family. And uh, they will make the rest of the family look good that way. And so they, they become the scapegoat in the family. There's the black sheep. That's, uh, you know, the people very often identify as black sheep. I have people come into my practice very often who tell me, yeah, I'm the black sheep in my family. They know it. And, and it's because they have accepted that role. And they accepted that role because there was no other role assigned to them. And when a child is an infant and needs to belong, it is not possible to say no to the assignation being given. And so they, they, they can't say no, so they just accept it. Um, so the black sheep in the family is the, is the guy or the gal who gets in trouble, who does illegal things, who maybe have a drug problem, who, who uh, maybe has been in jail, who uh, acts uh, in ways that are embarrassing or shameful to the family. And uh, the family wants to sort of put them out to pasture so they don't bother them, so they don't, aren't visible very much to the public who's, who the family may be relying on for their sense of reputation. So there's the victim identity, and this is not a victim. A victim is someone who's been victimized. This is a person who identifies as the victim. Uh, so the victim identity may go around thinking that life is just too hard and too impossible and they just got, have to rely on other people. Other people have to take care of them. If other people don't take care of them, they won't survive. And so they have learned to manipulate other people into taking care of them so that they'll be okay. And, uh, and sometimes they actually do get themselves literally victimized. You know, and I'm not saying they do that deliberately. I don't think they do that consciously, but they get into situations where they are being literally victimized so that somebody will rescue them. And then, of course, there's the rescuer identity. That's a person who spends his or her life uh, rescuing other people, uh, taking care of other people, being sure to, uh, to always be there for other people, give people money, take care of them, let them live in their house, let them have drive your car, you know, just take care of them in, in masterful ways. And a, a sense, in, and I have worked with these people, and I have sensed from them a, a, a real boredom, even a depression that comes along if there's nobody around to rescue, uh, because they feel like they're not worthy unless they're rescuing. And this has been assigned to them from early on. Somewhere early on, they probably had to spend some a lot of time rescuing family members, and or at least pretending to themselves that they could rescue family members, and and the family pretended right along with them. And uh, so that was the assignment given. And they could not say no to it. They were too young. So they accepted that role. And so when they're not, if they don't have somebody to rescue, then they feel like there's, they're, they're not sure they even exist. The same with the black sheep. The same with the, the victim identity. They, they, the, the same with the scapegoat. They feel like they don't exist unless they're living in that role. I'm not sure I'm really here. 
unless I'm living into this role. There's also uh, the clown or the uh, Peter Pan identity. That's the I won't grow up guy or gal who says, you know, I, I can gamble, I can flirt, I, can, I don't commit to people, I don't commit to things, I don't make, keep my promises, I don't manage my money well, I don't take care of myself because that would mean growing up and I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be responsible for anything or anyone. And that's because they've been given a, an assignation of fear of responsibility. Don't be responsible because I need you to be a, a kid. I need you to show me my inner child. I need you to, you know, or, or perhaps I am a rescuer parent and I need to rescue people. So you can just not grow up and I'll take care of you. Um, so there's lots of ways that can form, but it is, again, an assignment that is accepted because you can't say no to it when you're, when you're that little. And so uh, the people accept that role and feel as if they are, their very existence is threatened if they're asked to step out of that role. That's why you see such resistance to it. Um, and there's a lot of perks in staying in that role, too. You, you, know, you get somebody else to take care of you. You get somebody else to pay your bills. You get somebody else to do the, the dirty work of responsibility. And so you just don't. Um, there's also the runaway or the lost child. Lots of different names for this guy or gal. And, and what they do basically is they move to Ethiopia to get away from family because family reminds them of shame or dependency or drug addiction or something else. And they, uh, they don't want to be around it. So they just run. So their response to anybody who's in pain, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in pain will be just get over it. Get over it. Grow up. Stop whining. You know, that's the kind of response they have to that. They don't want to be involved in anything painful. And again, they've been assigned that role by family. Somewhere along the way, they got taught that pain is just not bearable and shouldn't be uh, attended to. And so they run from it. They run from pain. They run from shame. They run from problems. They run from everything. That's why they're called the runaway. Um. So these are just some of the names that we've given to some of these roles. There are others, um, but these are some of the prominent and main ones. And, and w- what happens is that people, like I said, live into these roles so hard and for so long that they come to believe that without that role, they will not exist at all. And so that's the existential part of this, this dynamic uh, energy is that it, it says existence itself depends upon me maintaining this role. So what happens in that person when something else comes up that doesn't match the role? So suppose, for example, that the victim identity rescues herself one day. One day she gets into financial trouble and she's able to figure out a way to solve that problem without involving anyone else. And she doesn't know what to do with that. She doesn't know what to do with that. So she may come along later and sabotage it so that she will uh, fit back into the victim identity that says, this is how I live. This is the only way I can be alive. But uh, it's also possible that at that moment, in that moment, she might recognize what we call the authentic self. So I just read an article in Psychology Today uh, magazine, which I usually enjoy very much and agree with most of the time, but I did not agree with this article at all because it said that, um, that the authentic self is your reputation. That 
and that we feel disturbed when our reputation, we can't match our reputation. And I can't even say how much I disagree with that. That is uh, not the understanding that I have of the authentic self at all. And I don't think it fits at all with, uh, with what's real. So if a reputation can be earned in all kinds of ways, I can earn a reputation as, as a philanthropist, for example. We've, just, we've seen this recently where my reputation is I'm a philanthropist, I give lots of money, I'm a very kind person, I care about other people, and then we find out later that there's been cheating going on and, and um, some uh, extra sexual behavior for the marriage and all kinds of things going on like that and maybe even pedophilia. Um, who knows what's going on there? But uh, we find these things out. And then we go, wait a minute, that's not who he really was. He wasn't really his reputation. She wasn't really her reputation. They were just performing. And we believe that the performance was all there was. So reputation is not authenticity. So I want to be clear about that and what we're saying today. We get that really confused sometimes. And and because we live into roles, we have a hard time accepting the fact that there might be something else around in there. And that's what happens when we have feelings that don't seem to match. So, for example, a person who has lived all of his or her life caretaking for other people may begin to develop some resentment that nobody's ever there for them. They're there for other people and there for other people and there for other people and there for other people, and but when they ask for help or assistance or care from someone else, nobody's there for them. And the reason is because they've been sending out this message that says, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I'm fine. I've got me taken care of. Let me take care of you. They've been sending out that message without knowing it. And so other people have believed that message, just like we might believe somebody's reputation. They believe that message. And they acted on that message. And so I find that very often caretaker identities are surrounded by people who don't take care of themselves and who cannot take care of you. So uh, they have peopled their lives in that way. And they have accepted only those people into their lives who need care. They have not accepted people into their lives who, who are responsible for their own care. They've only accepted people in their lives who need care. Why? Because they need help propping up that identity as a caregiver and they don't realize they're doing this again this has been an assignment that was given to them early early in life imprinted on their brain so that they believe that this is who they are and this is who they should be but then later they develop these feelings of resentment and they come into my office and they say you have to help me get rid of this resentment this is not good it's not a, a good thing it's not a it doesn't show me as a good person I cannot live with this resentment not only is resentment painful, but it makes it brings up shame for this person who's spent all of his or her life giving care to other people. But what I say is your resentment has come up to inform you that you're doing a lot of things that you really don't like to do. You're doing a lot of things that you really don't want to do. You're doing a lot of things that, that you don't have a, a real soulful, spiritual desire to do. And they look at me and say, well, it doesn't matter whether or not I want to do it. It's obligation. You, you, know, you do what you have to do. These people need me, and I, I have to be there for them. If I'm not there for them, who else is going to be there for them? And so they're trying to argue their ways back into the identity. And I might say something like, well, how does that feel to have to be so obligated to other people? 
Well, there, here we come back again with the resentment. I resent it. I resent it like crazy. Um, so now what? Now what do we do? Well, now we've developed an inner conflict. There's the caregiver identity, and there's something else inside of me that's growing. What is that? Perhaps, perhaps it is the authentic self. The authentic self has come up to say, wait a minute. Your desires are extremely important. Your needs are extremely important. What you want and what you want to give is extremely important. What you need to take from other people is also extremely important. And so the person has to reconsider. Now, they could get up and leave therapy at this point and say, okay, we're not doing any more therapy with this therapist because she's trying to tell me that I need to be a selfish person and just go around taking only care of myself, which, of course, is not what I said at all, but that's what they might think, and they might leave. So, again, they have sabotaged their opportunity to become aware of the authentic self. On the other hand, they might stay, and if they stay because that resentment feels relieved a little bit to just consider the possibility that maybe, maybe, maybe I can start thinking about myself and maybe I can even find other people who will consider me in the equation of interaction. So uh, so then the person might have to come to terms with the old idea, the old religious and um, secular idea that it's selfish to think about yourself. Is it really selfish to think about yourself how do you how does one go about living inside a self without ever thinking about the self how does one negotiate responsibility for self-care without ever considering the needs of the self how do we do that that's not selfish that's just how to 101 how to live 101 how to live Um, it's not how to survive We know how to do that. We live into the role. This is how to live. This is how to make a real life. And so we're going to talk some more about that right after this break. Stay tuned for more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, 
a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion. She's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about this question. Who are you really? Are you really just the role that you've lived? Are you really just uh, the identity that you've had? Are you just really your reputation? Are you really just what everybody thinks you are? Or is there somebody at home inside you who's genuine, who's really the real deal? That's what we're talking about. So let's answer the question, what is authenticity? The, the authentic self, well, first, authenticity is what's real, what's genuine. Uh, you know, is it fake or is it real? We've got, well, we had four years recently of, of our leader telling us that uh, what we saw on the news was fake news. And uh, we had to decide for ourselves, hopefully we decided for ourselves, that uh, whether or not that was true, what you know, what was what we were seeing, fake news or was it real? And we had to figure that out. And some of us didn't ever figure it out, and some of us did. And so that's that's kind of what authenticity is about. Authenticity says uh, uh, it's real, it's genuine, it's the real article. So, you know, if we, they check money all the time to see if it's real or if, it, if it's if fake. Uh, we check diamonds to make sure they're real or if they're fake. We, we check our relationships for whether they're real or they're fake. And the more real they are, the more we're able to be ourselves. And the less real they are, the more difficult it is for us to be ourselves in that relationship. So authenticity is the real deal. Your authentic self is the, the realest part of you that is, is very often covered up by a mask and costume, which is your identity or your role, the victim, the, the victim identity, the scapegoat identity, the black sheep identity, the lost child or the, or the runaway identity, the rescuer identity, the, uh, uh, those that I mentioned earlier. These all are identities that, we could, that are masks and costumes that we used, and they cover up, mask the authentic self. The authentic self, on the other hand, is the deepest core essence of who you are. It is who you actually are underneath the mask and costume. And the authentic self actually helped you put on the mask and costume in the first place. It's kind of like the authentic self stood up on the stage of of an auditorium and said to you, Come up here and put on this mask and costume because it's going to help you survive. And in about 
12 years, 13, 14 years, I'm going to call you and I'm going to let you know that this mask and costume isn't really real and that you can take it off now in a safer place. And you, you'll do that and then you'll be more authentic. That's what's supposed to happen when we're adolescents, right? The, one of the, the, the developmental stages that we go through, according to Erickson, is uh, we're going through identity, an ide- uh, uh, emphasis on our identity. Uh, but very often what happens is we're so already so identified with the role of the mask and costume that it's very difficult for us to attract real people into our lives. It's difficult for us to to make new choices that would mean we might have to end some friendships and start new ones that were are with people that are going to support our authenticity. Um, it, it might be very difficult for us to do that. So what I find very often that adolescents do is they just do the same old role, only they do it harder and they do it now with their friends so much more than they used to. So, uh, what happens is the masking, the masking costume wins that that t- that conversation, that argument between the authentic self and the masking costume, and it says, "No, I'm not coming down off the stage now. I'm going to stay up here, even though I'm 12, 13 years old now, 14 years old. I'm going to stay up on here on the stage." And at various other points in our lives, the authentic self calls us. It says, "Here's another situation where you could become authentic." Here's another voice inside you. Here's another relationship that's real. Here's another uh, painful dynamic that's helping you wake up to who you actually are. Here's these things that are trying to help you see that you're an authentic person way down deep in there. And we have a choice. We can either continue to in the role, the mask and costume, or we can say, no, I'm going to start looking for something more real. And so you see these people who, when they start to hit 35, something like that, they start changing their lives. Maybe they change their career. Maybe they get out of a bad relationship. Maybe they, um, you know, change a a dynamic way of being, but they change. And what's happening there is they're becoming more authentic. They're trying at least to become more authentic. And if they are given just a little bit of help from other people to say, yes, I see your authentic self in there, you can bring that out here. It's safe to bring it out here. They get just a little bit of help from other people. They can then become more authentic. Um, but even then, there's you know there's some struggle. It's not you don't just say oh pop goes the weasel. I'm I'm out of my little box now. I'm not I'm not I'm not um, going to be inauthentic anymore. I'm going to be the real me. It's a journey. And the journey may take many years. In fact, I hope that on my deathbed, I'll be able to say, yep, I finally got it. I'm an authentic person now. Because there's still areas that I work on in my life where I am not as authentic as I want to be. And when I see those areas, I continue to work on them. And I've been working on my authentic self since probably about 1986. Um, That's a long time. So, (laughs) uh, and I still have a ways to go. So, I hope that I, every day, become a little bit more authentic and a little bit more authentic and a little bit more authentic. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I may have some struggles that are not necessarily so. One of the things that really helps uh, in actualizing the authentic self is for us to uh, get ourselves involved with other people who are supportive of our authentic self. 
uh, one of the things that detracts us or helps us sabotage any efforts the authentic self makes to come forward is being in relationships with people who will not allow us to be ourselves. So, for example, that person that I mentioned a little while ago who was in the caregiver identity might still have people in his or her life who says, no, your job is to take care of me. And they balk anytime you want to do something for yourself. And they accuse you of being selfish. And they tell you that you don't care about them. And if you really love me, you would. And all of that manipulative garbage meant to make them stay in the role. And, and so those people might have to, might have to bring, build really strong boundaries uh, and say to those people, uh, I'm not going to do this for you today because that's not really what I need to be doing today. I'm going to do that for you tomorrow because tomorrow I have time to do it. Or, uh, or I'm not going to do it for you at all because that's not mine to do. It's perhaps it's yours to do. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to start making these kind of boundaries that, you know, teach people how to treat us. We teach people how to treat us. And uh, if they if they can learn, then you can keep them in your life. And if they can't learn, then it might be time to suspend that relationship entirely. So, uh, so, so for the victim, for example, the victim identity might need to start attracting people who, A, don't victimize them. And B, who don't rescue them. And that would be hard for the victim identity to come to terms with because, again, like the Peter Pan identity, the victim identity gets perks out of being taken care of. I mean, think about it. If I can manipulate other people into taking care of me, then why would I want to take care of myself? Well, I'll tell you why I want to take care of myself. I want to take care of myself because I do a better job of it than anybody else on the planet can. Nobody else knows me as well as I know me, and therefore, nobody else can take as good a care of me as I can. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be working on making sure that I take care of myself instead of uh, trying to manipulate somebody else into doing that. But that's hard for the victim identity to come to terms with because there's such a uh, fear of, uh, of living life without that you know, somebody else to take care of you or rescue you. There's a real fear there. And so uh, they have to work with that fear and ease that voice before they can uh, begin to live into the authentic self. Or let's take the bad guy identity. What does it take for him to or her to become bad guy or black sheep, whichever you want to call it? Um, what does it take for them to begin to listen to the authentic self? What will that take? Well, it will probably take uh, some, some energy around uh, considering what the consequences are to being the scapegoat. If I've had to go to jail, and jail's not a happy place where I love to be, then I might have to think about, okay, well, these are the consequences of the choices I'm making. So many times when, when the scapegoat or the black sheep, excuse me, not the scapegoat, the black sheep gets caught, they want to blame other people. They want to say, well, it's all so-and-so's fault. They want, to, they want to, you know, say, well, if only they hadn't done so-and-so and so-and-so, I wouldn't have had to do what I did. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, when, we, when that happens, they're, they're not getting the lesson. They're not getting what the authentic self came to give them. The authentic self is saying, 
I'd like I'd like to appear in your life. I want to come forward. I, I, I know this is not the life that really is you. You you really are a worthy person. You really are uh, uh, a person who has uh, goodness about you. You you don't have to be a bad person to be uh, uh, to be alive. And I have literally I've worked with people in the past who say to me these words. I am a bad dude. You need to stay away from me. And so what they're telling me is, this is how I've identified. I've identified as a bad guy. I believe that I'll only do bad things. I will hurt you. I will hurt other people. I'm just bad. And that is how I feel that I exist. And my question to them at that point is very often this. What would you do if you weren't a bad guy? What would that feel like for you? What if that's really not true that you're a bad guy? What? So we they begin to think about that, and they find I find that these same people who call themselves bad guys or bad dudes are actually people who care a great deal about other people, but they just consider themselves to be effed up, and they they use that language and they say, you know, I'm just I'm that's just me. I'm just that way, and that's the way I'll always be but it doesn't have to be that way. We don't want to take a bad dude and make him into a good dude. What we want to do is take a bad dude and help him realize that he's not a bad dude, but he's a real dude. And so that's the process, beginning to actualize the authentic self there. I didn't mention earlier when I was talking about the various roles, I didn't mention the bully or the perpetrator. The bully or the perpetrator believes that in order to survive, he has to bully other people. He, ha- he or she has to um, um, make other people do what he commands. He, ha- he may be abusive. He or she may be an abusive person. They may abuse others emotionally or physically or verbally uh, or spiritually. They may abuse other people in those ways. And in so doing, what they're doing is proving that they're stronger and therefore safer than they would be if they're not doing those things. So somewhere along the line, they have begun to believe that being a bully keeps them safe. It also keeps them from feeling that terrible feeling of being completely powerless. So uh, when a bully is bullied as a child, he or she is generally powerless over their abuser. And so that's a terrible feeling. And they might learn over time that if they become a bully too, then they won't ever have to have that feeling of powerlessness. And so that's why bullies bully. They don't bully because they're bad people. They don't bully because they're just mean-spirited people. They do have meanness for sure in them, but they don't, and they operate very often out of that meanness, but that's not all there is in there. There's much more in there that's not being seen because it's being covered up by the mask and costume that we call bully. And if we can help a bully, bully begin to see the consequences of his or her actions, that not only is he hurting other people, but he's also alienating other people so that he can't be loved. It's, it's hard for a bully to really be loved. They, they know how to control. They don't know how to be loved. And so they don't, that's the consequence of that choice is that they don't get to be loved. And so if they can, if they start longing to be loved, that's a voice of the authentic self that says, uh, hey, I'm in here. I'm real. Come look at me. Come listen to me. I've got something to tell you. And that's what the authentic self does. It comes up every now and then and it says, hey, I'm in here. I'm real. 
come look at me, come listen to me, I've got some things to tell you. And it, and it does that with the bully, it does that with the victim, it does that with the, the um, scapegoat, it does that with the black sheep, it does that with the, the Peter Pan, it does that with the runaway, it does that with the caregiver, it does that with all kinds of people. So, um, so, so when it comes up, our, if we can turn and look at it and turn and say, okay, what do you want to tell me? What is it you're trying to tell me? And really begin to listen to that voice. It has some really important information to give us, but we have to walk through some lies to, to see it. Like I said a little while ago, the caregiver, the lie that the caregiver, that keeps the caregiver continuing in the caregiver role is or the scapegoat role, whichever you want to call that, is the uh, is the lie that it's selfish to think about or take care of yourself. That's a lie. It's not the truth. And for the bully, the lie is that uh, I have to be stronger and bigger and tougher than other people in order to be okay, in order to be safe, and in order to not have that feeling of powerlessness. Um, and for the for the Peter Pan. They have to overcome the lie that says responsibility is a heinous, awful obligation, duty that drags you down into hell every day. Uh, Because that's what they believe. That's true about responsibility. For uh, For the victim identity, they have to overcome the lie that says that if you take care of yourself, you're not safe. If you try to take care of yourself, you're not safe. I have to overcome that lie. And for the person who lives into the runaway runaway identity, they have to overcome the lie that says that it isn't safe to feel pain. It isn't safe. It's not good. It's a terrible thing. You need to run from it. That's the lie they need to overcome. So there's a lie in every one of these. The rescuer identity has to overcome the lie that says, that other people need you, and if they don't have you, not only are they going to die, but you're going to be to blame for it. And that's the lie. And, that, and very often it's true instead that when we don't rescue someone, they learn to rescue themselves, and that is much better. Um, so, uh, you know, these are all the lies that, we, that, we, that we've been taught to believe and that we have come to believe that uh, tell us that we're, we're, we've got to keep maintaining the, the mask and costume. We've got to keep living into the role. And so we do. We keep believing the lie. So this show is meant to help you look at that lie and reconsider. And we're going to talk more about that right after the break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Things Worth Considering Featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis 
is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about this question. Who are you really? Are you the reputation you've put out there? Or are you something deeper, something more genuine, something truer? And if so, how do we actualize that authentic self? Well, I said before the break that I was going to talk a little bit about this show. This show is called Authentic Living, and we've been on the air now for uh, since 2008. And that's, uh, that's a good long time. So uh, maybe 12, 13 years. Actually, 13 years this July, July the 8th, 13 years. And uh, so what we've been doing that entire time thirteen of 13 years is um, really trying to promote this idea of authenticity. I've had several speakers on here that have promoted the idea of authenticity. Even our advertiser, who is Oprah Winfrey, uh, she, has, she is somebody who really believes in authenticity. We, uh, we have really pushed forward the idea that there is an authentic self that exists inside of you and that you can find it and you can begin to live out of it. And so let's talk just a little bit about how one does actualize that authentic self. Um, we begin by first listening to what's going on at the moment it's going on. So if you have something inside you that says, uh, as we said a little while ago, that that idea for the caregiver or the scapegoat that comes along and says uh, that there's a lot of resentment inside of me now, that I don't have anybody who cares about me, I resent having to take care of other people and nobody's taking care of me. That resentment is a voice of the authentic self. And we think, oh, no, 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 the authentic self has got to be good. Resentment is not good, therefore it can't be the authentic self, it must be the devil. It must be some ugly, mean-spirited part of me that's talking. But resentment... Is the voice of the authentic self, just like every other feeling comes up, is a voice of the authentic self. And what it's saying is, you're doing a lot of things that you don't really want to do. And you might answer that back and you might say, well, so what? 
Everybody does that, right? Everybody does a lot of things they don't want to do. We go to work every day. Now, who wants to go to work? Well, I want to go to work when it's work that I love. Uh, but if it's work that I hate, then maybe my authentic self is coming along to say through that hatred that this is not the job for me. So you see how these feelings can come up and they can look like negative feelings. They can look like bad feelings. They can look like things that we're not supposed to have. And there are memes out there every day telling you not to have any negative feelings and don't have any negative thoughts. Well, I don't recognize negative or positive. They're just thoughts. They're just emotions. And they come up to talk to us. And if we listen, then we can begin the process of becoming more authentic. And that, so that first step is listening to that message Listen to the resentment. You know, that person who comes into therapy and says, I've got a lot of resentment has already begun the process of becoming authentic. How? Because they listened. They didn't deny that feeling. They didn't push it away and say, that's not really there. I'm not really feeling that. That's a bad feeling, so I can't feel it, so I'm not going to feel it. I'm just going to push it away. They might have tried that for a while, but it didn't work, and the resentment kept growing, and so finally they listened. So they took the first step in doing that. The next step is to begin to honor what the voice has to say, to honor it. Because as I said, we have to work past some lies in order to to work with it. So in therapy, when somebody comes in with one of the lies, then my job as a therapist is to, to point out that that's a lie. So for the rescuer, for example... The law would be that other people need me, and if, they do, if I don't rescue them, nobody will. And that's a lie. And so I point that out to them. What if they were a, What if you didn't rescue them and they rescued themselves? What would happen then? And I often see just this flash of light go, you know, go off in their face, in their eyes, that says, oh, I never thought about that. Never thought about the possibility that they might be able to rescue themselves. Never even considered it. Never did that even occur in my universe. Why? Because I've been so wrapped up in doing the role and doing the role and doing the role and doing the role. But that's all there is for me. I just do the role. And so so we look at the lie and we say, okay, that's a lie. Now what's really real? Should I be rescuing people all the time? Or can I ask myself some more genuine questions like, what is it that I truly want to give to this other person? What is it that I truly desire to give to this other person? Not what should I give to them, not not what is my obligation to give to them, not they'll die if I don't give it to them, not any of that, just desire. So why am I focusing on desire? Isn't desire selfish? Well, that's what we've been taught, right? We've been taught that desire is selfish and that it needs to go on the back burner and it needs to, we don't need to operate out of desire first. We need to take care of all of our duties and all of our obligations and we need to be good, strong people and, and take care of those things and take care of the needs of other people first. And so we've been taught to discount our own desires. But here's the deal. Desires come straight up out of your soul. Desires come straight up out of your soul. They are not meaningless little nothings, fluff. They're not that. That's what we've been taught, but it's not true. Desires acquaint you with the spirit of life. Desires bring you to the threshold of your authenticity. 
because desires come straight up out of your authentic self. Now, I use this term soul and authentic self interchangeably, so if you hear me using those words, you'll know that's what I mean. Um, so, so if, if we're working with the rescuer identity, then you could say, well, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to give him about $500, and that is all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. Okay, so give him $500 and let him figure out the rest. Well, that's going to feel really selfish, or that's going to feel like really scary. What if he doesn't rescue himself? What if he doesn't do it? What do I, what I think he should do? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? So we have to walk through that difficult time of the what ifs. The, for, this, for the scapegoat, it's what if I'm a bad person. For the rescuer, it's what if that other person doesn't make it. For the party dude, it, uh, the party dude, the, uh, that's another name for the uh, Peter Pan. Uh, that uh, Peter Pan, it's what if I have to be responsible and I can't do it? What if my, I, what if I fail? Um, you know, there's a what if in there for all of us, and we have to walk through those anxious moments of what ifs and just say, I'm going to stick with my authentic self. Even though all these what-ifs are in there saying, go back to the role, go back to the role, go back to the role, go back to the role. So for a while, it's like we're, we're walking in a stretching rubber band where the rubber band is trying to pull us back to the role. And it will do that through these lies. It tells us all kinds of lies. It tells us that we're selfish. It tells us that we're, we're mean-spirited. It tells us that we're, we're supposed to uh, you know, not have to be responsible. It tells us all kinds of lies. And... So we've believed those lies all these years. And so it's hard for us to walk through that time without buying the lie again. And so that's why you might need to do this with a therapist or with another life coach or a person who can really help you see your way clear to your authenticity. Um, so the next step after uh, being able to, you've, you've listened to the, to the voice of the authentic self, you've begun to honor the voice of the authentic self, You've begun to walk through the lies that, it that the role wants to continue to tell you. What's the next step? The next step is to build a life of, uh, out of your boundaries. So what is a boundary? So in order for me to build a house that I can live in, I have to have laid out the boundaries of my property. I have to have laid out the schematic for my house. I have to have an architectural design. And I have to start building walls, foundations, and then walls. And that's what we have to do with our authentic self. Same thing. We have to lay out the lines for the property. We have to have an architectural design. We have to uh, begin to build the wall, the foundation and the walls of the house. I can't live in a house with no walls. And neither can the authentic self live in you without boundaries. So in order for you to be able to build the house of your life, you have to have boundaries. Now, by architectural design, I don't mean that this is something you build it, you, you, you lay out in the beginning and it sticks to that. Your architectural design may shift and change over time with your authentic self. That, and that might not be the case when you're building a house, but it is the case with your authentic self. So you're, you're designing it as you go. And you're paying attention to the whisperings of the authentic self as you go. And so it's, uh, it's important to understand that 
this is a process. It's not something that's laid out in stone. You don't lay out a five-year plan for your authentic self. You don't lay out a 10-year plan for your authentic self. It does not work that way. We're not talking about ego-directed goal-making. We're talking about authentic self-whisperings that you get slowly over time. So, um, and so we're, we're building that house. We're met creating boundaries. So what would the boundary be for somebody who's a bully, for example? Well, a really clear boundary for the bully would be, your rights stop where my nose begins. My mother used to say that to me as I grew up as a child when we were, uh, you know, uh, as siblings would fight with each other. She would say, your rights stop where his nose begins or your, his rights stop where your nose begins. And what she meant by that is abusing other people is beyond your rights. Uh, hitting other people is beyond your rights. You don't have the right to hit other people. So that could be your first boundary. I'm not going to hit other people verbally, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. I'm not going to hit other people that way. I'm, I'm going to... I'm gonna, my boundary is around myself to control my behavior instead of trying to control other people's behavior. That's what I'm going to work on. So that would be true for the bully. For the Peter Pan, the boundary might be to say, I've got to start being responsible for my own life. So when other people try to come in and take responsibility for my life, I have to say no to them. Uh, and that's hard. You know, if somebody comes in and says, here, I'm going to take care of your life. Let me just take care of you. You just go play. Wouldn't that be easy to just kind of let go of everything and go play? Well, for some people, yes, it's extremely easy. For others, that's, that sounds a little too good to be true, and I want to know where the trap is. <laughs> so for me, that would be, yeah, I don't know. No, this is a little too good to be true, and I'm looking that there's probably some manipulation going on here. And there is, usually. So, uh, so the, for the Peter Pan, it would be, I need to, uh, you know, pay attention to my boundaries by saying no to people who try to take care of me and start taking care of myself. Um, for the uh, scapegoat, it might be, I need to say no to people that I'm doing for because of obligation and duty instead of desire. I need to say yes to the people that I'm doing something for because it's desire. And I need to say yes to myself many, many times a day. And so very often what I do with people that are uh, like in the rescuer identity or the scapegoat identity, the caregiver identity, I will challenge them by giving them an assignment. So this Saturday, I want you to do for like four hours, I want you to do nothing but what you totally, absolutely desire to do. I want you to do only desires. If you want coffee, I want you to go get yourself a cup of coffee. If you want to take a walk, I want you to go take a walk. If you want to sit, I want you to sit. If you want to meditate, I want you to meditate. If you want to go play a game with some friends, go play a game. Whatever it is that you want to do, I want you to do it for four hours. And you would not believe how difficult that assignment is for some people. Other people would go, oh, yeah, man, four hours of doing what I want? Yeah, I'm on it. But for this, for the scapegoat, for the caregiver, for the for the rescuer, those are very hard assignments. But they get them in the practice of looking to themselves for my desires as leadership. My desires are leadership. So what we've done here is we've listened to the voice of the authentic self. We've begun to honor the voice of the authentic self. 
we've begun to walk through the lies that are told by the role, and we've begun to build the boundaries that will build the house of our lives. That's how we begin to actualize the authentic self. Okay, so that's our show for today. We're, we're talking about authentic living and the authentic self and who you are really. So remember now, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.